Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today we're going verse by verse through the book of John. So turn there in your Bibles as we join Pastor Mike. But Jesus gave him no answer. Then Pilate said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and the power to release you? Then Jesus did speak. And he said, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. Now, this is an interesting question here because some people think that he's talking about Herod because, again, Herod was really the jurisdiction that Jesus was from. But some people believe it was speaking of the Jews or of the Pharisees that delivered Jesus into the hands of the Romans. Notice verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whosoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Again, here is the problem with democracies. Now, you hear around all the time, well, we're trying to go there and establish a democracy. Friends, A government based upon what everybody wants is an extremely dangerous thing. Now, our forefathers, they realized that things do change, and so they they gave ways to change the the laws. And, of course, we know that, you know, two-thirds ratification of the states and all that stuff. I don't want to be a history teacher here. I'm just telling you a little bit different how our republic can be a little bit of a democracy if it's done the way it's supposed to be done. But the problem is oftentimes when you hear about people, they want to establish a democracy in, a, in some Central American country. That can be a dangerous thing because it's based upon what everybody wants, not necessarily upon what is right. Pilate is in error to not let Jesus go. Oftentimes you'll hear, and Adolf Hitler's whole big spin was, I'm killing the Jews because they kill Christ. No, not necessarily. The Gentiles had a big hand in it as well because they had the power to release him and refused to do so. Who killed Christ? Everybody did. The good news is Jesus died for everybody. I like that about God. When Pilate heard these sayings, he brought Jesus out and sat down in the judgment seat in the palace and in the place where it was called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Literally, it just simply means a race seat. Now he's setting now as a judge before them. Now it was preparation day of the Passover, about the sixth hour and He said to the Jews, behold your king. But they cry out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests 
answered, we have no king but Caesar. And so he delivered him to be crucified. So they took Jesus and led him away. What a mockery of government. This is why you're supposed to have government, is to protect what? The innocent. Mockery of government. But what happened here? Jesus knew all along what was going to happen. You see, Jesus knew that he would be the perfect sacrifice for all of us. We needed that. We, we cannot approach God in ourselves. And this is what is so foolish when you talk to people and they say, well, when I die, I'm going to tell God what kind of a great guy I was. I used to help blind cats across the street and wax my dog regularly. Oh, I mean, I'm a good guy. You ever hear people do that? I have. They, they always have an idea how they're going to plead their case before a judgment in their minds if there is one. Well, that's kind of an uh, oxymoron statement. You can't have both. Either there is a God or there isn't a God. And if there is a God, you can't say, well, if there is one, I've got my spiel down to know how to get out of hell. It's always weird what people conceive in their minds. That's why, again, you, you want to know what God's word says. Not what you think or what is the popular opinion or what the masses think, but you want to know what God says. Well, he tells us here. He delivered Jesus into their hands. A righteous man, after he declared him to be righteous, that he was find no fault in him many times. It wasn't just three times. It says from that time on, he sought to release him and he didn't. Boy, now, isn't that the kind of government you want? Where you know you're declared innocent, but you're punished anyway? You see, Jesus took our punishment. We were rascals, and God intervened for us. I'm so grateful for that. Every one of us should be too, because again, we don't plead our case before the Father. Jesus Christ does. He's your attorney. You, when you die, you're going to need a lawyer. Let me just tell you that. You go, oh, no, I don't like lawyers. Well, you're going to like this one. Because not only is he a lawyer, the Bible says he's your brother and he's your friend. And he's your God. That's good news. Because that's what you need when the chips are really down. And friends, when we stand before a holy, righteous God and all the junk that we've done in this life, you better have a Savior. You better have one that forgave your sins. And that's what's so important. And he, Jesus... Bearing the cross, went out to the place called the skull, which is in the Hebrew called Golgotha. And they crucified him with two others that were with him, one on either side and Jesus in the center. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and it was said, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this title, and the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And so it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. And the chief priests and the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write, King of the Jews, but write, He said, I was King of the Jews. And Pilate answered and said, What I have written, I have written. I think at this point, I think Pilate was pretty angry. From what historians tell us, it wasn't long after this that Pilate went out and killed himself. 
I think the idea and the thoughts of crucifying an innocent man, and especially somebody when he says, where are you from? I think it bothered him. You know, it's interesting that when a person comes face to face with Jesus Christ, they're never the same. You can go up and talk to a, a co-worker uh, wherever you're at, and you can say, you know, went to Disneyland. I think Mickey Mouse is a really cool guy. Big ears, kind of a funny nose, has a thing about cheese. You know, I mean, I, I, Mickey Mouse is really cool. And they'll look at you and they'll say, yeah, yeah, you know, I like Donald myself. You know, I like the duck. And the next day, they'll maybe have a little Pez dispenser of Mickey Mouse on your desk. But I guarantee you, you go and you start talking to them about Jesus, the relationship between you and them will never be the same. Isn't that weird? You can talk about anything you want to talk about. You talk about Jesus, everything changes. Why is that? Because the name of Jesus, every knee bows, every tongue confesses. So you have to realize when you talk about the Lord, it's going to change relationships. But friends, it's serious. Judas Iscariot went out and betrayed Jesus. We remember he went out and hung himself afterwards. The historians tell us Pilate committed suicide. You begin to realize when you mess with the real thing. There was an old movie done by Steve Martin. Anybody ever saw it? Called Leap of Faith. But uh, he was a scam artist in the movie. Went around, driving around, doing fake healing services, and using a lot of the stuff like we see on sometimes on Christian television. Well, in the middle of one of his services, this kid really got healed. Now, this was all made up, but the the point is, I do believe it happens. And it's not because this guy or the person in the front, but because he had faith in God and that was the trigger mechanism. And when he got saved, the fake healer realized, I'm going to ruin this movie for you. So, but he realized that God is real and he got out of what he was doing because he realized there was the real in who God is. I think a lot of times that's the way people are. I think they play around with God like he's a foolish game. And then all of a sudden they come contact face to face. Now they may not accept him as savior, but they do recognize there is something about him. Where are you from? Pilate asked him. And then the clamoring continued. We don't want you to write down, here is the king of the Jews. We want you to write down, he said he was the king of the Jews. Pilate said, I've written what I've written. I'm not changing it. By the way, a couple of things here. It says it was written in Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. The three major world languages. Jesus died for everybody. I like that. The second thing you find here is kind of interesting is that when we realize sometimes it's a title, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. That's what it tells us here. Uh, Verse 19, uh, about four or five words in, the word title is there. You might want to underline the word title. Do you know in the book of Matthew, it says that this inscription was the accusation against him. So, so Matthew says, here is the king of the Jews. That was his accusation. 
in John, it says it was his title. Mark and Luke recorded as an inscription. It's interesting how people look at Jesus differently. We see him as Savior. Some people see him as judge of the world. Some see him as a fraud. Some see him as the truth. I think that's the question. How do you see him? You know, a lot of times I always oftentimes wonder what everybody else thinks. And sometimes I just got to get down and say, what do I think? (laughs) Who do I say Jesus is? Well, what I've written, I have written. Verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garment and made four parts to each soldier apart, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was without seam, woven from top in one piece. Now this is interesting to me. The outer garment of Jesus... And no doubt as mockery, they were gambling it away. We go to Psalms 22 and you can find the whole picture of Jesus's crucifixion there. And and they were gambling away his outer garment. And it says it was made in one piece, woven all the way down, his outer garment. Why would they be gambling for his garment? You know, like I said before, everybody knew who Jesus was. Remember the issue of blood by the woman who had went and spent all of her livelihood trying to get well? And she said to herself, if I could only touch his tunic, if I could only touch his garment, I would be healed. And so there was a rumor that went around that Jesus' garment had magical powers. Never mind the person who was in it, but his garment had magical powers. And so the idea then, gambling it away, would give somebody this magical garment. But I think there was more to it than just that. It was without seam. You know, it's interesting, the Bible says we're clothed in his righteousness. If we're clothed in anything like his one-piece outer garment, there's no beginning, there's no end. You're clothed in it. And God wraps that around you. And friends, that's really good news. You see, you didn't do anything to make God love you. You didn't really do anything to make God hate you. The sin that's in us is what God doesn't like because it's what separates us from him. Well, they said, therefore, among themselves, let us not tear it, but let's cast lots for it. Whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which says, and they divided my garments among them and for my clothing, they cast lots. That's in Psalms 22, verse 18. Therefore, the soldiers did these things. You know, you look at this and you realize that um, Jesus did for us what we could never do for ourselves. We were invalid friends when it comes to getting right with God. In fact, the Bible says all of our righteousness or all of our attempt to be righteousness is filthy rags. You know, it's a tragedy that we think somehow we're going to be good enough to please God. But what pleases God is you wrapped in his righteousness. 
This morning, I think it's just one question, really. Have you been wrapped in his righteousness? You say, well, how do I get wrapped in his righteousness? You ask. You just ask. Father, wrap me in your righteousness. You see, we don't have anything that I can give to God to exchange eternal life for. We're bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt. Zero in our banking account. And God says, but you come to me and I'll fill you to overflowings. That's what God does. And in the words of a TV commercial, don't stay thirsty, my friends. You can finally beat the thirst. Because Jesus, the Bible says, out of your belly shall come rivers of living water. Isn't that good news? It's not generated by us. It's because of him in us that causes us to be able to function. This morning, if you find yourself in a place of deficit, in a place of, of, of emptiness, I want to invite you to come to Christ this morning. If you're a Christian and you've lived apart from God, all God wants you to do is acknowledge him. Accept him back as your savior again and say, Father, from now on, no longer I, but you live in me. And the Bible says, God will come and redirect your life so you'll have an eternal reward. You're going to get eternal life if you accept Christ. But just think, using your life for things that will never fade away. You think about the goofy things we've spent so much time on in our lives that amount to nothing. I think that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to go through our garages and clean them out. You ever done that where you picked up something and say, boy, I remember doing that. I spent a lot of time on that for nothing. Always use the illustration of going to secondhand stores or yard sales and there'll be a box, anything in box, 25 cents. And here's a trophy. The world's greatest whatever, 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 being sold off for a quarter. Think of the time, the effort, and the training that went involved in having that trophy only to have it being sold in a box for a quarter. Now think about maybe developing your relationship with Christ. And God's saying, with you, I'm going to do great things that are going to last for eternity. I guarantee those things will never be in a box for a quarter. God's got greater things for you. You see, we're designed forever. I have a hard time of that because, I, you know, death seems to be so fine. You drive by the cemetery out here and there's, you know, birth date, death date, and a little line in between is your life. And yeah, okay, that's over. But no, no, no. The Bible says everybody exists forever somewhere. That's what the Bible says. And if there is no life hereafter, then really relativism is the way to live. Because after all, you do what you do in your own sight. That's what's good. With no conscience of anything, any accountability down the road someday. So somebody would say, well, maybe that's what I believe. Hmm. Okay. Well, you got to ask yourself, do you feel lucky? Why is that? Because if you're wrong, you will spend an eternity 
separated from God. Well, how do I know then what you're saying about the Bible is true? God says, okay, I'm going to give you some clues. I know what the future is like. Now, I've told you what the future for human beings is like. Let me give you some other insights here. How about when Jerusalem, Israel is under Roman control 2,000 years ago, and Jesus said, Jerusalem will be trodden down by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Later on in Luke 21, then he goes on and says, and the generation that sees these things, it will all come to pass. It's all going to be done. Can you see that? Wow. Imagine under Roman control, Jesus said Jerusalem will be under Jewish control. I like reading the old commentaries that were written back in the 1700s, like Matthew Henry. It says it appears that Israel will become a nation again and Jerusalem will be in the hands of the, of the, of the, of the Jews. However, I don't see how that can ever be as recently as the 1700s. And yet today, we see it exactly what the Bible says. It says Jerusalem will become a cup of trembling for the whole world. Have you heard about the West Bank? Have you heard about the occupied territories? Have you heard about the plight of the Palestinian? Have you heard about all those things? And yet it's all made up? Yes, we've all heard about it. Israel is a hotspot, just as the Bible says. Yeah, but that's a pretty lucky guess. I mean, after all, I mean, Jesus could have said, okay, what about um, two prophets during the tribulation period? It says they have a testimony against the world for the evilness. And the Bible says when they are finally allowed to die, their testimony is completed. The whole world sees them dead, lying in the streets of Israel, in Jerusalem. Up to satellite television, friends, that wasn't possible. Couldn't have happened. How could the whole world at the same time see it? And by the way, in the original language, in the Greek, it means all at the same time. Satellite television is the only way you can do that. Imagine the Bible is so foolish to say no one's going to be able to buy or sell Revelation 13 without the, name, without the mark, the name, or the number on your hand or on your forehead during the tribulation period. Buying and selling with numbers. Up to 50 years ago, that would have been pretty impossible. Now we almost expect it. You know, the new chips, you know, your old credit card doesn't work anymore, does it? You have a little chip in it, don't you? And you slide that thing in there, and somehow in those little silver gold colors, that thing figures out that it's you. Now imagine the jump from putting that on you. Boy, that would sure solve theft, wouldn't it? That would sure solve a lot of the banking problems. Well, that's exactly what the Bible says. See, it's amazing that God said, I know the future. And if he knows the future about those things, how much more does he know the future about you and me? That's why your faith needs to be in him. If you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're listening by radio or internet, you need to pray right now. Let's pray. Let's ask and let's get right with God. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And I invite you into my life today. I don't want to live without you anymore. And I want my life to mean something in eternity. So I give you my life today. Make me the best I can be for you. 
fill me with your Holy Spirit. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And so now, direct my footsteps each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com slash it's time. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thank you for listening and tune in next time for It's Time. It's Time.